Well, I tell you, I am thankful that uh, the Lord has brought me to a church that has a lot of uh, adult preacher kids. It gives me hope. They might make it out of their uh, toddler years <laughs> and actually <laughs> develop into something. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's nice. When I look out here and see you preacher kids, man, I'm thinking, well, okay, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to hold strong. Um, glad to see our visitors here today. If you're visiting with us, we are certainly thankful that you have chosen to worship with us today. I uh, trust that your time with us will be met with a warm reception. And, and uh, again, we encourage you, if you're looking for a church home, uh, Community Baptist Church is just that. It is a home. It's, uh, this is a great family, a great family of believers. And um, uh, we're, we're thankful you're here with us today. Uh, I want to go ahead and give you a fair, fair warning. Um, if you are visiting, you've entered into a Stewardship Sunday. And uh, uh, so anyways, uh, the next two Sundays, we'll actually be looking at uh, stewardship, uh, financial stewardship. We're going to focus on today uh, the tithe, and then we're going to talk about next week our faith promise giving. Uh, some of you may not know this. There's actually a debate within the Christian circle of... Is the tithe even for today? Or was that something that was only for the Old Testament? Quick show of hands. I probably shouldn't put you on the spot like that, but too late. How many of you in here believe in tithing? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Hands down. How many of you believe uh, that today we should uh, practice free will giving? Okay. Some of you, okay, I've never heard of that. Well, that's what our lesson is going to be about today. We're going to look at this debate. We're going to look at this discussion and, and, and try and uh, see if we can uh, make sense of this. Uh, some of you will probably be crying just like that when you leave here today. <laughs> Anyways, let, let me give you some statistics. Uh, an article, now, now get this, this is 1994 when this came out. Uh, I don't know if some of you were even born then. Uh, but in 1994, Christianity Today carried an article about young adults and financial giving. James Williams of the Church of God of, of World Service said, Our people 45 years old and younger have grown up mesmerized by materialism. There's tremendous pressure on families to spend, spend, and spend. Then he adds, quote, I've heard that the generation that believed in the tradition of tithing is in three places. Retirement homes, nursing homes, or cemeteries. Well, that's bad news for the church, huh? In 2007, there was a research done by the Barna Research Group that tracked some of these uh, giving numbers. And the research revealed that just 5%, 5% of adults tithed. Among the most generous segments in society were evangelicals, 24% of whom tithed. People who had prayed, read the Bible, and attended a church service during the past week had given, 12% of them had, had given. Several groups also stood out as highly unlikely to tithe. People under the age of 25. 
atheists and agnostics, go figure, single adults who have never been married, 1% or less of the people in each of those segments tithed in 2007. Less than 1%. Hmm. Among all born-again adults, 9% contributed one-tenth or more of their income. Only 9%. The study also showed that Protestants were four times as likely to tithe as were Catholics, uh, 8% versus 2% respectively. The Barna tracking reported that the proportion of adults who tithed was 7% in 2006, and in 2005 was 5%, in 2004 and 2003, uh, 6% in 2002, and 5% in 2001. Those aren't real good numbers. If tithing is a biblical doctrine that God expects His followers to follow. So what about this subject? Well, we're going to take an interesting look. I'll be honest with you. There were some things in my study time on this that I I was kind of taken back. And And it's causing me to really look at this subject again. So, the question today, and it's actually the title of today's sermon, to tithe or not to tithe? That is the question. But is free will offering the answer? Some of you who know about this debate, this discussion, you may have heard some of these type of arguments put forth. Those who support free will offering, those who would say, well, We are no longer under the Old Testament law. Therefore, uh, we're under grace. We're not under law. The law required that you give a tenth. We're not under the law. Therefore, I don't have to give a tenth. The tithe was a tax on the Israelites. And that's true, was it not? It was a tax on the Israelites. We're not under a theocracy. We're under a democracy. And Christ definitely is not on the throne. I don't care what the liberal media says. But I, as far as in the democracy, you understand where I'm going with that. I better, boy, I clarify that one. Somebody's like, what you just said there? But people would say, I still pay my taxes to the government, so there you go. We're not, under, we're not under the tax of the Israelites. I don't have to tithe. Churches and pastors have browbeat people into giving. Every time we go to that church, that's all I ever hear. That preacher's always talking about giving money. I'm sick and tired of that giving money. It's all I ever hear. The teaching on tithing has been abused to build up some church leaders' egos and for building projects and to take advantage of the poor who have less than the rich. This one's usually preceded by, I'm mad. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of that. Uh, Some who support free will offering say, free will offering teachers and followers assume that their tithing friends are legalistic. We're under grace. That, that 10% teaching, that's, that's, that's legalistic. That's, that's, that's the law. 
This is what the free will offering uh, people sometimes assume. They also assume that many tithers use the 10% as a crutch to only give the bare minimum. I gave my 10. <laughs> I'm not giving any extra. I give my 10 to general fund. I ain't supporting missionaries. Many say that they assume that these, these folks who believe in tithing use 10% as a crutch to only give the bare minimum of what they have been blessed with, feeling smug and secure. God only expects me to give as I prosper, according to 1 Corinthians 6.2, and I ain't prospering. <laughs> some, of you, some of you feel that way, right? I'm supposed to give off the first fruits. I ain't seen any fruit yet. I'm looking for first fruits, and I might give something. Those who support tithing, now they may argue, those who believe in free will offerings use this as a crutch so they don't have to give as much. You kind of go something like this. Uh, well, you know, I do have a lot of bills, and uh, I've got this due, and, you know, we really, we really do need that vacation. Um, and hey, we're not under law, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think we can afford to give a little bit this 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 week. But yeah, that, that's that's enough. I think that'll be enough. God understands that that's the grace of God. I'm not obligated. Some tithers say, "Hey, look, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He expected it then; should expect it now." Again, this is some of the dialogue that goes back and forth um, uh, on this subject. So, so what is it, church? I mean, there's some great arguments on both sides. Does God expect you to give 10% of your income? Is it, is it off the net or is it off the gross? <laughs> well, these are the, the questions in the air. Uh, I don't know if we'll actually find some answers to that question as far as your satisfactory level goes, but I can assure you after studying this subject, uh, I'm more than satisfied with the answer God's given me, and I trust that you'll hear this message this morning. First off, what is a tithe? What is a tithe? The word tithe means a tenth. Now, according to the scriptures, there's, depending upon who you ask, most people agree there's, there were three types of tithes in the Old Testament. So if you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. There, according to most scholars, most people will agree that there were three types of tithes in the Old Testament. Now, one man, a Hebrew scholar by the name of uh, uh, Dr. Feinberg, he says there's four. Let me, let me go over these four and then we'll look at uh, why I think it's, it's... If he holds to four, it's because he's pulling one out of the other. But you'll, you'll see where we're going with this. Um, turn with me to Leviticus. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, 
through 33. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it's good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. What does that mean? Well, you'll learn in the Old Testament, one of the first types of tithes was known as the first fruits. The first fruit tithe. And in a nutshell, this is basically what would happen. Anytime the, the, the uh, produce, the crops were harvested, they would take that first fruit, the first bit of harvest, and this would be offered as part of their worship, as a part of their tax to the theocracy. So first fruits. There would also be a 10% that would be given to the priest. Turn with me to Numbers 18. Numbers 18, 26. Numbers chapter 18, verse 26 through 28. Now, I may move fast. If you want to jot these down and listen, that's fine. Um, Numbers 18, 26 says this. Speak thus to the Levites. And say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the wine press. Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes with uh, which you receive from the children of Israel, and you shall give the Lord the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. You see, this was a, 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 a known as the heave offering, and so what would happen is the Israelites would bring their tenth, and and part of that um, uh, was for that tax and for that that worship aspect. There was also, and this is a third type of tithe, the second tenth was paid by the congregation to the Levites and to the needs of their family. This is so their families could be sustained. Why the Levites? Well, remember, there were 12 tribes, right? One of the tribes, the Levites, were designated to be the priestly line. They were the ones that would conduct all the temple worship. They were the ones that would receive all of these, these tithes. And part of, God said, look, you're not going to give of your land. You're not going to be the ones who are going to, you're going to make your living through, through, the, through the orchestrating of the temple, the, the, the high priest, the priestly line. You're going to be that line. You're gonna, you're, that's going to be your work. All the other tribes, the other 11, they're going to do their work and they're going to bring a tenth in to be put into the storehouse as part of the worship. But also there was to be 10% given to the Levites as their inheritance. And then those Levites were to take the best that was given to them and turn and offer that to Aaron, uh, uh, to God in essence, as a 10% on their behalf. So, and I... Let me see if I can kind of clarify this. 
You've got the first fruit tithe. You've got the heave offering, which was the best 10% of the Levites. You've got the uh, second tenth, which was paid by the Israelite, the congregations to the Levites, and that was for the needs of their family at the tabernacle. By the way, if you want a passage on that, Deuteronomy 12, 18. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, 18. Let me just read that to you real quick. It says uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 12, verse 18, But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place where the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughters, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. And, and again, the idea was they, they had to live. They had to eat. So that was part of that, that tithe. There was also the, the other tithe is the tithe paid every third year to the poor. This was a tithe that was given to the poor. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29 tells us this. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29 says, At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand in which you do. So these were known as the tithes. This is the way Israel functioned. The Israelites functioned. I, I think Dr. Feinberg, though he goes in and dissects it, I think it's easier summed up in three tithes. Let me read you this article. Maybe this will bring some, some clarity to the subject. This is from a book of Jewish concepts by Philip uh, Birnbaum. Uh, and, and listen to what he says. They were, the, they were the first tithe. When it comes to the categories of tithes practiced under the law, they were the first tithe, the second tithe, and the poor tithe, which would be considered the third tithe. The first tithe, the second tithe, and the poor tithe. The three tithes are called in Hebrew, Ma'achsar Rishon, Ma'achsar Shani, Ma'achsar Ani, respectively. Everyone repeat after me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Israelites were also required to contribute terumah, gifts to the priests, from the fruits of their fields before they paid their tithes to the Levites. Now, the first tithe consisted of one-tenth of the whole produce of the soil, which was to be assigned for the maintenance of the Levite priests. And out of this, the Levite priests were to dedicate a tenth to God for the use of the high priests. So you see, the Israelites bring in the 10%. The priests take the 10% and give it to God. All right? Now, the second tithe, which the owner must consume in Jerusalem... Hmm. Now, wait a minute. This is specific. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27, if you want to write that down. The se- we read that a little while ago. The second tithe, which the owner must consume in Jerusalem. Now, the actual second tithe of produce could be converted into money, plus a fifth of its value, and reconverted into food in Jerusalem. Because you remember, they got to go to Jerusalem to worship the temple. So they could sell some of their tithe reconvert it once they got into Jerusalem, back into produce, crops, whatever, grain, and offer the tithe. I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. Hang tight. 
The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia further elucidates this subject. It states the second tithe was the remaining nine-tenths had to be set apart and consumed in Jerusalem. Those who lived far from Jerusalem could change this second tithe into money with the addition of a fifth part of its value. Only food, drink, or ointment could be bought for the money. The tithe of cattle belonged to the second tithe and was to be used for the feast in Jerusalem. That's in Zechariah um, 5.8. The third tithe called the poor man's tithe, which takes the place of the second tithe in the third and sixth year of the seven-year cycle, culminating in the sabbatical year according to a book of Jewish concepts. It should also be noted that the king sometimes neglected to follow the law of Moses and did not always keep the tithing system. Now, why do I say all that? Because here's what part of the argument is. The New Testament church doesn't tithe. The tithe was always produce. It was crops. It was agriculture. Huh? Look at all of the passages in the Old Testament, other than the cattle reference, which they put the cattle one under the second tithe. But all of the... It it, it wasn't money. The only one that referenced money was that they would give their first fruits. They would exchange it for money. They'd go to Jerusalem. They would buy buy produce because they wouldn't have to carry all that tenth to Jerusalem. It's too far to travel. So now they would exchange it. They'd have to add a fifth to it. Now they take it to the temple and offer it. That's the argument. People who are opposed to tithing in the New Testament, that's their argument. They said, that's not biblical. That's that's what the Old Testament did. That's what the law did. We're not under law. If that's the case, why don't you start slaughtering some animals in the church? Or maybe some cell phones. I don't know. Just kidding. (laughs) It's all good, brother. (laughs) So so anyway, he's a doctor. He's he's allowed, right? (laughs) But, But again... That's, that's part of the argument that this is why we don't, we don't, you know, practice the tithe in the New Testament. That's the law. We're not, we're not under the law. Well, what about offerings then? What is this idea of free will offering? Because, you know, those who are against the tithe for today, they say we should do free will offering. Let me give you some Old Testament examples of that, which, by the way, if, as you study this, you will notice a distinction of tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. So, uh, one case, turn to Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God which He has given you. Hmm. What about that? Okay, well, look in Second Chronicles. Turn with me to Second Chronicles. 
31. 2 Chronicles 31. And this is in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 31. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feast as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So the idea there, again, it doesn't speak of a tithe, it speaks of offering. And it was as the people could. As the people prospered, they were expected to give these offerings. But it doesn't mention the tithe. Huh. Well, wait a minute. Wait just a minute, preacher. What about this? If the tithe's just for the Old Testament and not for the church age, why does the Bible say the tithe predates the law? Excellent question. Is the tithe just an Old Testament practice? Or does it predate the Old Testament practice? Because if it predates the Old Testament practice, then perhaps it's not just for a certain dispensation. Maybe it's for beginning to the end. Well, let's give you some examples. Jacob tithed. Huh? Turn with me over to Genesis. Everybody go to Genesis. Genesis 28. And let's look in uh, Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22. Genesis 28, 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a what? A tenth to you. Hmm. Seems like maybe that was the custom. A tenth. And that's before the Mosaic Law. It's a pretty good argument. But can we just... Banking on one passage, one example that predates the Mosaic Law? Well, let me give you another one. Abraham tithed. He did? Yeah. Genesis 14. Uh, Look in Genesis 14. Just turn back a, a few chapters. Genesis 14, 14 through 24. Genesis 14, verses 14 through 24. says this, Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his 318 trained uh, uh, servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. 
He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as as Habah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the woman and the people. The women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. After his return from the defeat at Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Bless the Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So there's a practice that's going on there. Now the king of Sodom said to the Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. Turn over to Hebrews. So, so again, this is an Old Testament. No, it, 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 but it predates, the, it predates the Mosaic Law. Well, same story told over in Hebrews. Look in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Now, this is a good argument. This is a great defense. Listen to what it says. In Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes. So the Levi, here again, he's reiterating this, this practice. From the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham. And blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. Of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loin of his father where Melchizedek met him. That's a pretty good argument that this tithing thing is not just an Old Testament Law, Mosaic law practice, that it predates it. What about Christ? When Christ was here on earth, did He believe in the tithe? Let's turn to uh, Matthew. Turn to Matthew. Let's look in um, Matthew uh, 23. Matthew 23. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 23, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint 
and Anis and Cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Without leaving the others undone. So he's not saying don't tithe, right? He's just saying you're neglecting the important stuff. Now, don't, don't, don't not do the others, but you need to focus in on these weighty things. Well now, but wait a minute. What did Jesus say in regards to their tithing? What did He mention? Was it money? Or once again, agriculture? That's what the opponent again will argue. Also, the argument is you can't use this text because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee and the scribe. And the temple worship was still going on, right? Temple didn't get destroyed until eighty seventy. So this practice of bringing a tenth according to the law, and it was first fruits, produce, crops, that type thing, is still going on. So you can't use this, some people would argue, to say tithing is a New Testament practice. Well, what about the Pharisee? What about that Pharisee over in Luke 18.12? Listen to this. Luke 18.12 says, you remember the story? The righteous, self-righteous Pharisee goes into the temple. He goes in to worship and he, is, he notices the, the sinner over here who's just bawling and crying and, and beating on his chest. And Lord, forgive me. And the Pharisee stood and prayed Thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. (laughs) Wow. He says, I'm thankful I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of agriculture. Is that what it says? No, it says, I give tithes of all that I possess. So I think an argument can be made, even though he was being self-righteous about it, that it obviously was a type of practice that was understood of tithing off of the possessions, how God has blessed you, what you have, a tenth of what you earn, a tenth of what you make, outside of just being agriculture. Again, we only get snapshots of this, but if people want to engage in this discussion, we need to dig out all the evidence there is to come to our decision as to, do we tithe today or do we just give free will offering? And if so, what's the difference? We're coming to that conclusion. Probably sooner today than any other day I've preached. Man, we're getting near the end already. Man, that's good. Y'all can get out early. <laughs> Wow, did I just lie in the pulpit? I'm sorry. No, you will, hopefully, Lord willing, you will get out of here early today, especially compared to last week. All right. So the Pharisee tithed on all he possessed. So what can we conclude? Is tithing for today? 
Consider this. We, we looked at examples that predated the Old Testament. We talked about Melchizedek. We looked at references in the New Testament. Christ is indeed our high priest, is He not? He forever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He's after the order of Melchizedek. And the church is His spiritual temple, right? 2 Corinthians 6.16 Don't you know you're the temple of God? Your body is the temple of God? And if Christ is our high priest, in a sense, aren't we in a theocracy? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, aren't we gathering in the tents to advance His kingdom? Isn't that the New Testament concept? There will be, one day, a tangible theocracy back on the earth. There will be an earthly kingdom, the millennial reign. Jesus will be ruling and reigning on the earth. And guess what? Guess what the Scriptures say? Turn over to Revelation. Some of you don't know this. Some of you don't realize this. We will rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom on the earth. Look in Revelation chapter 5. Let let me begin the reading in in verse 8 of chapter 5. Revelation 5, verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, and having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Church, one day we will rule and reign with Christ upon the earth. That millennial kingdom which is to come. You know, Paul instructed... And I think this again is, a, is an argument for the tithe in the church today. Paul argued that those who preach the gospel should make their living from the gospel. Who does that sound like? Sounds kind of like the Levites, right? That was a practice there. And Paul reiterates the principle in the New Testament that those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. If you want a scripture reference on that, it's, um, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's, let's, let me read that to you real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved... Whoop, wrong one. 9.14. There we go. Even so, the Lord has commanded... Whoa. God commanded us something? The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Also, 1 Timothy, he, he reiterates the same thing. 1 Timothy 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this. 
Let the elders, which is pastors, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, Old Testament scripture, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So you want to hold to an agricultural argument. But here's a New Testament truth and principle that I think makes a good argument to say that the tithe is for today. Or is it? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16.2. 1 Corinthians 16.2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. It didn't say 5% according to the 2007 poll of Barna. It said let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Hmm. Again, I ain't prospering, preacher. But you know what? I think what this is saying here, there's two very important truths. That our giving, whether you want to believe tithes is for today or it's done away with, whether you hold to free, free will offerings is for today and not the tithe. Here's the point. Your giving should be regular and it should be proportional. Look at that passage again. On the first day of the week, Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Okay? That speaks to in proportion to what you have. So, again, I think this is a a, a teaching that the New Testament church should understand. The tithe was the law. I agree. And we are not under the law. I agree. We are under grace. But have you ever wondered why it is that the law, when I look at the Old Testament, I look at people who are under the law, why it is they seem to get the devotion? Even though it was commanded and it was the law and they had to do it, thus saith the Lord. A lot of times there seems to be that act out of devotion. Yet, when we talk about grace, it tends to be given out of duty. I don't think it should be that way. Here's my thoughts. In in prayerfully sorting through all of this discussion and this debate on this topic, let me leave you with these, these words. I think the law, the tenth, the tithe, I think that was milk. I think free will offering that's taught in the New Testament is meat. The Old Testament is given as our example. 
I think the tenth is a starting place. I think that is our example. And under grace, under New Testament, I mean, grace demands more, does it not? I mean, if we should really appreciate grace. I think the result ought to be a natural outflow of, of gratitude, gratefulness, not compulsion. Not because you're browbeat by a pastor. Not because, you know, you, well, grudgingly, I guess, I guess we'll do a tenth. No. If that's it, we've missed the concept. Let me give you an illustration of John Wesley. Take John Wesley, for example. He was one of the great evangelists of the 18th century. Born in 1703, in 1731, he began to limit... Check this out. If you tune, tuned out, tune back in. This is, this is amazing. In 1731, John Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. In the first year, his income was 30 pounds. And he found he could live on 28 pounds. And so gave two pounds away. In the second year, his income doubled but he held his expenses even. And so he had 32 pounds to give away. A comfortable year's income. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds and he gave away 62 pounds. In his long life, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds in a year. But he rarely let his expenses rise above 30 pounds. He said that he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at a time. This so baffled the English tax commissioners (laughs) that they investigated him in 1776 insisting that for a man of his income, he must have silver dishes and he was not paying excise tax on. He wrote them. I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present and I shall not buy any more while so many round me want bread. When he died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins to be found in his pockets and dresser. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned in his life had been given away. He wrote, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence, but in every other respect, my own hands will be my executors. In other words, I will put a control on my spending myself. And I will go beyond the tithe for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. So what about it, church? Is it really a debate? 
should we really pit these two teachings against one another? I think not. Second Corinthians, and this is the final verse, Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or not out of necessity, For God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray.